Welcome back. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec. We are at part three of our discussion with Gary Ross about communication and we're actually in this session, part three, we're going to get to question two. Again, while you were talking about that and looking at your background, you've worked with organisations, I gather, that are have a lot more volunteer workforce than paid workforce in terms of the the not-for-profits or the smaller organisations. Do you see that they do that better in that they can make people think and and then motivate them to to know what they need to do and tell them what to do because it's it's a little bit more obvious to them than the larger organisations where it sort of gets lost in the mire of these are our values, this is our mission? Well, yeah. Well, most of my work has been on the for-profit side, actually. But I think you're onto something where in a company where the mission is uh, easier for people to grasp, then yeah, you've got a little more material to work with there when you're going for that field piece. So, you know, if it's in healthcare, for example, you're you're helping to make medicine that makes people better. Yeah. If it's in the food industry, you're making affordable, nutritious food for people and, and their families. It's a little tougher in some industries where perhaps the end product is a little bit removed from from a consumer or even a even a B two B provider. So at that point, well, what do you do? You you think a little bit more about the impact that your organization might be having on economy or society as a whole. But there are there are ways to if you if you kind of drill down and 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 think about that. So for an example, I was working with an industrial products company and. They made uh, one of the things they made was the the handles that go on uh, gasoline or petrol, if you call it there for for cars. And it's like, well, okay, I guess somebody has to make those. (laughs) How do we how do we talk about that? (laughs) And and but it it enables transportation, enables people to go about their daily lives. So it's it's looking for that 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 greater um, that uh, that greater message. I, I, I think back to a story also about a um, a landscaper who was working for happened to be working for a pharma company so the company itself had had that that medical uh, values and and mission and so forth but this guy was this was the landscaper for the front of the of the building building and and somebody asked him to talk about his job and he said uh, i'm in charge of first impressions he wasn't in charge of cutting the grass or trimming the bushes or planting the flowers. He was in charge of first impressions. He found that meaning in his work. And I think no matter what it is we do, we can find that that deeper meaning. Yeah. So I'm going to get back on my soapbox again. <laughs> For whatever reason, and, and I'm glad we're talking to an executive audience here. For whatever reason, it seems that it's become unfashionable or uncool for exec some some executives to show that they actually enjoy their jobs mm-hmm. that they they strut around a lot of times like they're almost they're we have that expression too cool for school that they're a little too cool to be showing that they that they enjoy what they do i i, I think that's nonsense frankly yeah. everybody within us and think about how much more exciting and fun things would be if we all we're better at, and I know I could do this too. If we were all at better at expressing our inner sense of wonder of why we one, there was at one point that we thought what we do is, is cool. That was the day that we were, maybe it was our first day on the job, or maybe it was when they were first approached for that job list for that job opening, or maybe you're in an industry that you've always been interested in as 
uh, as a kid by by talking about how, why we're excited to do what it is we do, why we're excited to be at the company we're at. Why did I why did talk about why you joined the company? Why is it a good place to work? Why is this a great time to be at the company right now? Mm. Those those sorts of things are are so inspiring. And yeah, they may make you feel a little vulnerable, but vulnerability for executives is a is a good thing to show more often than not. And to show that that sense of wonder why you think it's cool and it's fun to be where you are and to do what you do, that's incredibly motivating for others. It's catching, it's contagious. And if we look Let's, back, we, we should do more of that. If we look back in history at organizations that treated their workforce as though they were family and knew everybody, knew the, the families, interacted with them, well, didn't put themselves above or beyond their workforce and didn't wear this badge of how stressed and busy they are, <laughs> which seems to right. be prevalent these days. We, we look back at those organisations and say how successful they were. Why isn't it like that today? But we've made it like it is today by, I, I think in some cases, there's a little bit of the, I'm not good enough. Uh, someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and say, you know, you shouldn't be here. And so we have to show that we're stressed and we're busy and we're different to the workforce so that we can stay where we are. I really like the approach of, of being human in the role and saying, yeah, yeah. I, I have problems. I have things that I don't like, but uh, on the whole, this is really good to be alive and to be here and to be able to do something. You know, you're there for a purpose after all. You know, otherwise the organization yeah. wouldn't exist. Right. We, we, I mean, we all have our moments. We're all going to have, our, our times where we're where we're stressed and that's just that's just the, the nature yeah. of work i guess all i'm saying is is remember why at one point you thought this was a cool job to take yeah. or you yeah. thought it was a cool job to a cool um company to join uh, or, or, it was or a cool a good, thing to do yeah yeah there was purpose right. to, to all and then of yeah and then share and share that with share that with people because that passion that passion is contagious but it also opens up a conversation because if you say, I joined this company for this purpose because they had these things and you have someone who's just beginning their executive journey who says, well, I had all these other views, it opens up a whole other dialogue and, and other opportunities to think about what the organisations are doing as well. So it is an open communication session. Absolutely. We get, and We huh? might get on to question two, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Sure. So, question two. I think, I think we've probably. I'm sorry. Am I totally? Am I totally derailing what you wanted? To, no, no, what you no. wanted to do? No, because I think question two was about: Is there a place for multimodal communication within an organisation? And I think we've probably touched on it here and there. But what I meant by that question is: In these days of so much technology and so many ways of communicating with people wherever they are. Should organisations be looking at the way they communicate in writing or whether they do it by video or, or whatever, whatever way they do it uh, remotely and having some sort of hierarchy of communication? Yeah, and it depends on, uh, on, the, on the workforce. So if you've got an audience that's mostly in front of computers every day in offices, then you'll be communicating with them in a way differently than you would if say a third of your people are in offices and a third of your people are say staffing restaurants. And then another third of your people are working in the warehouse or our drivers that are supplying those restaurants. And 
they're not in one place every day. So you've got people in front of in one place in front of computers and people in one place and not in front of computers and then people not in front of computers and moving around. So that's uh, just an example. So what yeah. do you do? Fortunately, there's a lot of technology now that's enabling those that's enabling unified communications across workforces like that in in different modalities. There are apps that you can and and full platforms that you can adopt that will tie into your internet, into your email, into text messaging and and so forth where you can where you can reach out to people. And then think about there's there's that old rule about go to where people are for when you're where you're communicating. So let's say if you've got a bunch of professional drivers, for example, truck drivers in your in your organization, think about reaching them through a podcast, through an internal podcast that they can listen to while they're while they're driving. Think about uh, for remote people an app that they can get on their on their mobile device. For for people in in an office setting, it could be more like email or or digital signage. Or for people who are remote, it could be all being on the same uh, uh, IM platform that also can get integrated into those technology platforms as well. So there's a lot of different a lot of different ways to to do that. Again, it goes back to to knowing your audience and what people need to hear, what they want to hear. And then how to get to them where they are. That's the key part of it. And because of technology, there's there's tons of ways to do that now. The, the One of the barriers, though, to that, I'll tell you, is, and that I've heard is, and, and that I've encountered it also, is, is there's a little, there's some concern about information security and privacy and interoperability in, in general. Uh, one company i was was helping they had a big e-commerce website and they were concerned about deploying any piece of technology on their system because they thought it might bring down their website and crash sales okay theoretically that's that's an issue but i mean that's why we've got legal departments and it departments to help us solve these things and not to stand in the way of those things so again as as an executive i would urge folks if they haven't already to you know, to to look at those kinds of departments as as business enablers rather than gatekeepers and and stop gaps if there are concern, security concerns then partner with the vendor that you'd like to work with that has this platform and and look at it and and find ways to to get around that to your to your satisfaction these are established technology applications that work with companies all over the world, they've likely run into the same issues that you're concerned about as well. Legally, the same thing. So as long as they've got the the mindset of, hey, let's help you solve this problem versus we're just going to say no, whatever you suggest, then there's a way to do it. Do you see a decrease in the internal newsletter, for want of a better phrase? Yes. So I, I know in my day, we used to have the, the monthly newsletter that came out that told us all the things that were happening. Is that still a thing? It's a bit of a dirty word Okay. <laughs> in communications circles, or can be, I should say. But I've seen a lot of places where it still works. And I'll, I'll give you an example. This this project that that I had been working on with the, with the great team, we had we did have to communicate on a, on a regular basis. And one of the things that I also tend to talk about is is you want to stay away from radio silence or silence in general because if people have a sense that something's going on you want to be communicating about it even though you might not have a huge update because silence people are going to make up their own stories and they're never as good as the story that you want to get out there so what ways to do that are indeed uh, a newsletter 
But a lot of times if a newsletter is kind of flat and plain and, and so forth, people won't even open them. They won't read them. They'll be ignored. I, I think part of the reason why it can be a dirty word is sometimes people just fall back on, oh, we need a newsletter. Let's do a newsletter. And there's not much imagination put into it and mm -hmm. it falls flat and it's not read. Going back to this example of this project I was working on, we knew we needed something like a newsletter and we knew that there was a lot of clutter. and We wanted to make sure it was read. So we wrote it in a tone that was it was consistent with the brand, but it was slightly off and, and edgy. And we were, we had a little bit of snarkiness to it and it got people talking about it. So people would see it and say, oh, did you see that? Could you believe what they said in, in the thing? <laughs> and so they would go and look at it and we'd have our little snarkiness, but they also got the information that we yeah. wanted to, to disseminate. So it's a, you know, spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, as they say. <clears throat> so I, they're good to do. Other versions of regular communication like videos, we did a lot of regular video communication as well. But again, if they're all the same boring videos, nobody was going to watch them. So we also were a little edgy in those as well. And word of mouth spread. And this was a this was a technology rollout. It was kind of a dry subject. And so we we had fun with it and did some kind of interesting things with it. And it, yep. it certainly word got around. It's good. Notoriety. Yeah. yeah. So newsletters can be good if they're done well. That's good. Dangers on the horizon, communications-wise. Well, there there are a few uh, sort of the traditional dangers, and then there's some of the, the new dangers. So yep. the traditional dangers would be, and, and you see this every day, companies, organizations with the urge to just clam up if something gets the least bit dicey or, or inconvenient. And in today's world where things... Uh, get on social media and circulate at the really literally almost at the speed of light. It's bad for that to happen because as I said earlier, if you're not out there with the narrative that you want to create, somebody else will create it and, or people because of fear of the unknown and so forth, it's human nature. People will create it in their own minds and it's never as good as the story that you want out there. But because of risk appetites and in certain industries and so forth, there's still that urge for people to to clam up. And you can look back at countless examples of organizations that did that and how they how they got bitten by it in in the end. So resisting that resisting that urge, I think some of the more newfangled challenges with the proliferation of misinformation, unfortunately, and some of these ways where where people can more sophisticated ways to to get out there and, and fake things, whether it's deep fake videos or some of these AI generated images. I don't know if anybody has the answers to that, but we've all got to be vigilant about it. And it's a new word. It's diligent and vigilant. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> with, with generative AI as well, people relying on that, it can do some amazing things, but it also screws up a lot, yeah. frankly. Yeah. And so we've we've got to resist the excitement and the urge of this shiny new toy and make sure it's being used responsibly and accurately to help us. There, there are people out there in the communications world saying, oh, my gosh, AI is going to take all our jobs. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the people who are going to take the jobs are the people who know how to use AI <laughs> in, in communication, not the AI itself. At least now, five to 10 or 15 years from now, if we're all living in a world where the machines control everything, then, then I don't know what to tell you, but uh, <laughs> at least, at least now that's, so those are the things we have to be on the lookout for. And that stuff's changing every day. Yes. It really yes. is. 
it's another thing that we're going to be bombarded with, right? Is is these new things that are that are coming out and what chat GPT has been around for what, eight months? Mm. <laughs> and it's gone from, wow, look at this thing to, oh my gosh, it's going to take everybody's job to, well, that's old now. <laughs> look at the next thing. And that's been eight months. We've got to be on our on our toes about those things and understand what those things can and can't do. And I think too that it's about responsibility. It's a bit like getting the spelling right, that we have to be responsible always about our communication and about the style that we're using and about what we're communicating but that we also acknowledge that it is our responsibility and not get lazy, I guess, is, is the bottom line, is, is that technology has the potential to make us lazy about all sorts of things, and that's not using our skills as humans to their best ability as well. So, so there is responsibility for us to be vigilant about all sorts of things or, or diligent or the combination of the two. Combination of the two. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and and words are powerful, right? We we see that every day. Words are powerful. So we're not just messing around with little toys here. This is yeah. this is this is powerful yeah. stuff. The words that we use and the way we use them is part of how we frame our world. Yeah. So so we we need to be responsible about it. Well, it's part so, of how we frame our world and as as executives also it's part of how we we get people and we have people follow us. As yes. part of how we inspire people and and drive buy-in and all of those things as executives that that we that we need to do and sometimes communication it feels like that's the one thing everybody knows they need to work on but they're not exactly sure what to do. <laughs> and this podcast is case in point. You know, we've been going for eight years and this is the first time we've talked solely about communication. And yet it, it, it's been every week for all of that time. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's, that's why I enjoy the work that I, that I do too, yeah. is that, is that I, I work with people who are really smart and really great at what they do. And, and I help them again, drive that buy-in, drive, help them lead their teams, help them bring their teams along with them through good communication. So we have one last question that is yeah. more for our new team leaders. So as a new team leader, how can you recover from a history of poor communications? Poor so if you've joined a team where the communication yeah. previously was bad and yeah. yeah, well, that's where you've got to balance. I think as, as a new leader coming into a, into a new team, there's always things that you're going to want to do differently, but you don't want to walk in there and stomp your feet and say, okay, from now on, we're going to do all these things differently. It's got to be, it's got to be a nuanced approach and you've got to drive that, that buy-in and, and bring people along. So it can't be something that it can't be a switch that you, that you turn on and you, you wouldn't do that with anything else. So from a history of poor communication, I, I would, as, as a new leader joining a team, do some of that listening, talk to the, the team members on there, find out why the communication might've been poor, what might have been lacking and see what it is that you can do to, to make up for that and, and to change that. And then you've actually got to go ahead and do it. <laughs> so, so much of leading is say, is doing what we say we're going to do. Yeah. So yeah. you, you can go in and, and say you want better communication and because you think it's going to make people happy, but then you got to go ahead and actually do it. Otherwise they might lump you back in a few months later with the people who had just left and with the communication, that's, um, that's not good. So following up on what it is that, that you say you're going to do. I think that, and part of doing that also is being open to 
things that you necessarily might not want to hear, making sure it's okay that, that people tell you things that might be tough for you to hear, but that, that you've given people permission to bring those things to you. Cause that shows, that shows two way, authentic, honest communication. And then it's also, it can't just be you. you you've, you've got to model that behavior. So as you do what you're going to say you're going to do and you begin to communicate differently, there needs to be then some expectation that that gets followed by the rest of the team. So whether you've got managers that then have individual contributors, for example, you need those managers then to emulate the new communication style that that you're bringing. Or if you don't have managers reporting to you, then it, you need to make it clear to the folks on the team that, okay, this is how we're going to communicate with, with folks. And these are some examples of how we're doing that. And we're going to roll this out over time. And I'm expecting over time for, for people to, to communicate that way as well, because I think this is how we can best function. And I'm, I'm here to support you. And this is the way I can best support you as a leader and so forth. And then modeling that behavior, continuing to follow through with that over time that will build the trust and the, and the better communication over time, but it's not a switch that can be, that can be flipped on. That's going to take time. So I would, I would urge patience with it as well. Gary, it's been fascinating having this conversation with you. We do have one last question that we don't send you. Uh we, We get you to think on the spot. It's that if we were having this conversation in 12 months time, what would you like to look back on and say that you were happy had happened in terms of, Communication generally. Communication generally that we're that that people are paying more attention to the objectives of their communication and understanding their their audience and are using the precious limited time and attention of their audience to be more thoughtful about how they communicate, what they want their audience to think, feel, and do about that communication. So those lines of communication are are more open and everybody's work life is enriched as a result. Fabulous. And I hope the machines haven't taken over too. So. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep an eye on that one as well. <laughs> Gary, is there anything else that you would like to add in terms of the conversation we've had? No, just, this this has been great. And thank you so much for, for having me. And, I, and as I hope you can tell, I really enjoy this. I really enjoy working with people. And, and I've worked with executives at, at all levels from CEOs to executive teams together. And then also exec C-level executives individually as well on how to communicate with with their teams, with each other, with exterior audience or external audiences as well. And uh, it's something I, re- I really enjoy doing. So if anybody would like to talk further about that, please reach out. And we will have all of Gary's details on the website, as we always do. Gary, we thank you for joining us today. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne in absentia, and this is Inside Exec. 